Welcome to another in-depth exploration of the book of Jeremiah. Written by Imray Tokic, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 9. Jeremiah's Yoke. Then Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, New Living Translation. As we have already seen, God's prophets preached not only through words, but also through object lessons. At times, the prophets had to live out the message. At times, at times, the prophets had to live out the messages. It was another way to get the point across. It was another way to get the point across. Thus, Jeremiah again was called to live out the words he was to deliver. First, he had to wear a wooden yoke. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke and fasten it on your neck with leather straps. Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 2. That had to have been a burdensome task, even under the best of circumstances. In this case, it became harder because a false prophet challenged what Jeremiah said. In this exploration, we can get a powerful look at truth and error contending for the hearts and minds of the people. We will discover, too, how a message of grace can also be a false message. Jeremiah also was forbidden to enter into mourning when others mourned and rejoicing when others rejoiced. The point was to help the people realize what was coming because of their sins, and so to repent and obey lessening the dismal consequence of their sinful actions. solitary life. No question, Jeremiah's lot in life wasn't an easy one. He would be the first to admit it too. Things, though, were even harder than we might have imagined. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 16 verses 1 through 13 from the New Living Translation. What was the Lord's message to Jeremiah? However harsh, in what ways would it have been a blessing to the prophet? Jeremiah forbidden to marry. The Lord gave me another message. He said, Do not get married or have children in this place. For this is what the Lord says about the children born here in this city and about their mothers and fathers. 
They will die from terrible diseases. No one will mourn for them or bury them, and they will lie scattered on the ground like manure. They will die from war and famine, and their bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. Judah's coming punishment. This is what the Lord says. Do not go to funerals to mourn and show sympathy for these people. For I have removed my protection and peace from them. I have taken away my unfailing love and my mercy. Both the great and the lowly will die in this land. No one will bury them or mourn for them. Their friends will not cut themselves in sorrow or shave their heads in sadness. No one will offer a meal to comfort those who mourn for the dead, not even at the death of a mother or father. No one will send a cup of wine to console them. And do not go to the feasts and parties. Do not eat and drink with them at all. For this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, In your own lifetime, before your very eyes, I will put an end to the happy singing and laughter in this land. The joyful voices of bridegrooms and brides will no longer be heard. When you tell the people all these things, they will ask, Why has the Lord decreed such terrible things against us? What have we done to deserve such treatment? What is our sin against the Lord our God? Then you will give them the Lord's reply. It is because your ancestors were unfaithful to me. They worshipped other gods and served them. They abandoned me and did not obey my word. And you are even worse than your ancestors. You stubbornly follow your own evil desires and refuse to listen to me. So I will throw you out of this land and send you into a foreign land where you and your ancestors have never been. There you can worship idols day and night, and I will grant you no favors. Now let's compare those words with Hosea chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Hosea's wife and children. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. In contrast to Hosea, who was to marry a harlot in order to show just how corrupt the relationship had become between the Lord and Israel due to the nation's spiritual harlotry, 
Jeremiah was to refrain from marriage and from having children altogether. This was something rather rare and extreme for that time and culture. In Israel, starting a family was very important for every young man. Besides the love and companionship between spouses, it was also important to carry on the family name. Why did God forbid Jeremiah from starting a family? So that Jeremiah's own life would be an object lesson on how terrible that time would be when families broke up and when the pain of separation became a heavy burden on the survivors. Jeremiah's lack of family life was a constant warning and lesson for his contemporaries. Jeremiah's solitary lot extended into other areas as well. He was forbidden to enter a house where there was mourning. This would symbolize the people's unwillingness to respond to God's calls for repentance and revival. Along with times of mourning, he was not to join their festivals of joy and celebration. This was to symbolize the coming time when the Babylonians would bring an end to all of their joy and rejoicing. In these ways, the human bonds that are forged, whether in mourning or joy, would be denied Jeremiah. His life and the sorrows of his life were to be object lessons, if only the nation would learn from them. Jeremiah's Yoke. Let's listen to Jeremiah chapter 27, verses 1 through 18, and answer these questions. What is the message of the Lord to the people? Why would this seem treasonous to many who heard it? Jeremiah wears an ox yoke. This is what the Lord said to me Make a yoke and fasten it on your neck with leather straps. Then send messages to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon through their ambassadors who have come to see King Zedekiah in Jerusalem. Give them this message for their masters. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. With my great strength and powerful arm, I made the earth and all its people and every animal. I can give these things of mine to anyone I choose. Now I will give your countries to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who is my servant. I have put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. All the nations will serve him, his son and his grandson, until his time is up. Then many nations and great kings will conquer and rule over Babylon. So you must submit to Babylon's king and serve him. Put your neck under Babylon's yoke. I will punish any nation that refuses to be his slave, says the Lord. I will send war, famine, and disease upon that nation until Babylon has conquered it. 
Do not listen to your false prophets, fortune tellers, interpreters of dreams, mediums, and sorcerers who say, The king of Babylon will not conquer you. They are all liars, and their lies will lead to your being driven out of your land. I will drive you out and send you far away to die. But the people of any nation that submits to the king of Babylon will be allowed to stay in their own country to farm the land as usual. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then I repeated this same message to King Zedekiah of Judah. If you want to live, submit to the yoke of the king of Babylon and his people. Why do you insist on dying, you and your people? Why should you choose war, famine, and disease, which the Lord will bring against every nation that refuses to submit to Babylon's king? Do not listen to the false prophets who keep telling you the king of Babylon will not conquer you. They are liars. This is what the Lord says. I have not sent these prophets. They are telling you lies in my name, so I will drive you from this land. You will all die, you and all these prophets too. Then I spoke to the priests and the people and said, This is what the Lord says. Do not listen to your prophets who claim that soon the gold articles taken from my temple will be returned from Babylon. It is all a lie. Do not listen to them. Surrender to the king of Babylon, and you will live. Why should this whole city be destroyed? If they really are prophets and speak the Lord's messages, let them pray to the Lord of heaven's armies. Let them pray that the articles remaining in the Lord's temple and in the king's palace, and in the palaces of Jerusalem, will not be carried away to Babylon. The yoke Jeremiah had to put on his body was an unmistakable sign of the humiliation that the nation suffered. It's what we all call a military occupation. Here are two examples of yokes. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 48. You will serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you. You will be left hungry, thirsty, naked, and lacking in everything. The Lord will put an iron yoke on your neck, oppressing you harshly, until he has destroyed you. And 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4, referring to King Rehoboam and his father, King Solomon, delicate officials are negotiating. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. In these texts, the idea of a yoke appears as an expression of oppression. 
Jeremiah had to experience physically what the Babylonian invasion meant. The wooden yoke Jeremiah put on his arms and shoulders was one and a half meters long and eight centimeters thick. The essence of his message was that if a country revolted against Babylon, the Lord would take it as if the country had revolted against him, and the rebellious would suffer as a result. Though there is some ambiguity in the original texts, it seems that Jeremiah did not have to make a yoke only for himself, but also for the envoys of foreign countries who had come to Jerusalem and were plotting against Nebuchadnezzar, despite the Lord's warnings not to. The natural response would be to fight against a foreign invader, which is what they wanted to do. No doubt, then, Jeremiah's words were not at all welcome. What's especially important about the message in Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 5? With my great strength and powerful arm, I made the earth and all its people and every animal. I can give these things of mine to anyone I choose. Let's compare that example of God's sovereignty with Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, referring to King Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar. You will be driven from human society, and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Here again, as we find all through the Bible, Old and New Testaments, the Lord as Creator is sovereign over all the earth. Even amid what appears to be chaos and catastrophe, invasion and dominion by a pagan nation, the power and authority of God is revealed, and this was and is to be a source of hope to all in the faithful remnant. It's one thing to be under a yoke of bondage. However, ask yourself, have you placed someone else under an unfair yoke? If so, why not remove it now? The prophets. Bad news is bad news, and often we don't want to hear it, or we want to rationalize it away. Such was the case in Judah with Jeremiah and the yoke that he bore. 
an unmistakable message of warning to the people. The amazement of the assembled council of nations knew no bounds when Jeremiah, carrying the yoke of subjection around his neck, made known to them the will of God. So wrote Alan G. White in the book Prophets and Kings, page 444. Listen to Jeremiah, chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. Imagine you are a Judean, standing there and watching all this going on. One day in late summer of that same year, the fourth year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, Hananiah, son of Azur, a prophet from Gibeon, addressed me publicly in the temple while all the priests and people listened. He said, This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will remove the yoke of the king of Babylon from your necks. Within two years, I will bring back all the temple treasures that King Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon. And I will bring back Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other captives that were taken to Babylon. I will surely break the yoke that the king of Babylon has put on your necks. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah responded to Hananiah as they stood in front of all the priests and people at the temple. He said, Amen. May your prophecies come true. I hope the Lord does everything you say. I hope he does bring back from Babylon the treasures of this temple and all the captives. But listen now to the solemn words I speak to you in the presence of all these people. The ancient prophets who preceded you and me spoke against many nations, always warning of war, disaster, and disease. So a prophet who predicts peace must show he is right. Only when his predictions come true can we know that he is really from the Lord. Whom would you believe? Whom would you want to believe? What reason would you have, if any, for believing Hananiah rather than Jeremiah? Jeremiah raised his voice in the name of God, and Hananiah spoke in the name of God too. But who was speaking for God? They both couldn't be. For us today, the answer is obvious. For someone at that time, it may have been more difficult, even though Jeremiah does make a powerful point. The prophets in the past have preached the same message that I am, that of judgment and doom. Jeremiah, in the presence of the priests and people, earnestly entreated them to submit to the king of Babylon for the time the Lord had specified. He cited the men of Judah to the prophecies of Hosea, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and others whose messages of reproof and warning had been similar to his own. He referred them to events which had taken place in fulfillment of prophecies of retribution for unrepented sin. 
In the past, the judgments of God had been visited upon the impenitent in exact fulfillment of His purpose as revealed through His messengers. Another quotation from Prophets and Kings, this time from page 445. In short, just as we today are to learn lessons from sacred history, Jeremiah was seeking to get the people in his time to do the same thing. Learn from the past, so you don't make the same errors that your forefathers did. If it had been hard for them to listen to him before, now, with the ministry of Hananiah there to counter him, Jeremiah's task was going to be that much more difficult. Hananiah, whose name means God has been gracious, seemed to be presenting a message of grace, of forgiveness, of salvation. What lessons do you learn from this false preacher of grace? Yoke of Iron. The battle between the prophets wasn't just one of words, but of deeds as well. In obedience to the command of God, Jeremiah put the wooden yoke around his neck. This was an overt symbol of the message that he had carried to the people. What was the prophetic symbolism of Hananiah's act? Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 1 through 11. In the previous section, we heard most of these words read from the New Living Translation. This time, we will hear them read from the Amplified Bible. Ananias' False Prophecy In the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah, in the fourth year and the fifth month, the false prophet Hananiah, the son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, one of the priest's cities, spoke without godly authority to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I am going to bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon took away from the place and carried to Babylon. And I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, along with all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord confirm and fulfill your words which you have prophesied to bring back the articles of the Lord's house and all the captives from Babylon to this place. Nevertheless, 
Listen now to this word which I am about to speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people, the prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times prophesied against many lands and against great kingdoms of war and of disaster and of virulent disease. But as for the prophet who, on the contrary, prophesies of peace, when the prophet's word comes to pass, only then will it be known that the Lord has truly sent him. Then Hananiah, the false prophet, took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and smashed it. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so, within two full years, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations. Then the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Let's do a sidebar for a few minutes. This will help us better understand the challenge Jeremiah was having with Hananiah. Mark chapter 11, verses 13, 14, 19, 20, and 21 in the Amplified Bible. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, Jesus went to see if he would find anything on it. But he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, No one will ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening to what he said. Verse 19. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples would leave the city. In the morning, as they were passing by, the disciples saw that the fig tree had withered away from the roots up. And remembering, Peter said to him, Rabbi, Master, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. Imagine, for example, that after Jesus cursed the fig tree, someone who had heard what Jesus said and knew what had happened had replanted a new fig tree in the same spot, all in an attempt to refute the prophecy of Jesus there. This is what Hananiah did with Jeremiah and the prophecy that the yoke around his neck symbolized. It was an act of open defiance of what Jeremiah said. Note, too, Jeremiah's reaction. The texts record nothing of what he said right after the yoke was broken. He just turned around and walked away. If the story ended there, it would have seemed that the prophet had retreated in defeat. The prophetic saga of Jeremiah continues. Here in Jeremiah chapter 28, verses 12 through 14, in the New Living Translation. What happened next? What was Jeremiah's new message? Soon after this confrontation with Hananiah, the Lord gave this message to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but you have replaced it with a yoke of iron. The Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says, I have put a yoke of iron on the necks of all these nations, forcing them into slavery 
under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. I have put everything, even the wild animals, under his control. Jeremiah's response wasn't a message of revenge. You did this to me, so I will do that to you. Instead, it was another clear message from the Lord, but even stronger than what came before. Hananiah might have been able to break a wooden yoke, but who can break an iron one? In a sense, what the Lord said to them was that by their obstinacy and refusal to obey, they only were making matters worse. If you thought a wooden yoke was bad, try an iron one. Who hasn't learned the hard way about making things more difficult for ourselves by obstinacy. When dealing with the Lord, why is it always better to submit and surrender right away than to keep on fighting and making things harder on yourself? Trusting in lies. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but the people believe your lies. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 15, the New Living Translation. The answer about who was right, whether Jeremiah or Hananiah, came soon enough. Jeremiah chapter 28 verse 16 and 17, tells the fate of the false prophet, which was just what the true prophet had said it would be. Jeremiah speaking to Hananiah. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you must die. Your life will end this very year because you have rebelled against the Lord. Two months later, the prophet Hananiah died. Though Hananiah died, he still had done damage to the nation. His works, in a sense, followed him. He made the people to trust in a lie. The Hebrew verb is hyphal, a causative form of the verb to trust. He caused them to trust in a lie, not in the sense of physically forcing them, but through deception. Even though the Lord had not sent him, he spoke in the name of the Lord, which carried a lot of weight in Judah. Added to that, Hananiah's message of grace, deliverance, and redemption was certainly something that the people wanted to hear, considering the great threat that Babylon posed to the nation. It was, though, a false gospel a false message of salvation that the Lord had not given them. So, at a time when the people needed to hear the words of Jeremiah and the message of redemption that he brought, they listened to the words of Hananiah instead, and this made their woes only worse. What do the following two texts have in common with Jeremiah 28, verse 15? 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
verses 3 and 4. For a time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12 He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Things are no different today. We are in the great controversy, a battle for the hearts and minds of the world's billions. Satan is working diligently to get as many as possible to trust in a lie. And that lie can come in many guises and forms, just as long as it is always a lie. After all, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14 and verse 6, Satan's lies can be about anything and everything, just as long as they don't contain the truth as it is in Jesus. What are some of the lies that are so prevalent in your culture today? Why is clinging to Jesus and his word our only protection against them? Let's continue exploring. People want to believe good news, not bad. In this exploration, people wanted to believe, for instance, in Hananiah's message, not Jeremiah's. Today, the same thing happens as well. Many still insist, for instance, that our world will only improve over time. Yet, even an atheist like Terry Eagleton sees just how farcical that idea is. Quote, If ever there was a pious myth and piece of credulous superstition, it is the liberal rationalist belief that, a few hiccups apart, we are all steadily en route to a finer world. This brittle triumphalism is a hangover from the heroic epoch of liberalism when the middle class's star was in the ascendant. Today, it sits cheek by jowl with the cynicism, skepticism, or nihilism into which much of that honorable lineage has degenerated. End quote. The source of those thoughts is the book Reason, Faith, and Revolution, Reflections on the God Debate, 
page 70, Kindle edition. Again, the author's name is Terry Eagleton. Though some aspects of life have improved, our world in and of itself offers us little hope, little consolation, especially in the long run. If we are to have any real hope, it has to be in something divine, not earthly, in something supernatural, not natural. And of course, that's what the gospel is all about, God's divine and supernatural intervention in our world and our lives. Without that, what do we have other than just more Hananiahs and their lies? Here are a few points to ponder and questions to consider. Think about our Earth's future as a whole, even if from a purely human standpoint. Does it look hopeful and full of promise, or does it look fearful, dangerous, and full of uncertainty? What reasons can you give that would support your answers? Jeremiah's message, as we heard in the context of Hananiah's lies, was to look at the past to look at history, and to learn from it. Ellen G. White wrote something similar in her book, Life Sketches, page 196. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and His teaching in our past history. What does she mean by that? What has happened in our past and God's teaching in it that can help you be prepared for what will undoubtedly come in the future. Hananiah gave a false message of grace. What are some of those false messages of grace today that you must guard yourself against? Grace, of course, is our only hope. But in what ways can it be presented as a lie? ambassadorgroup.org Thank you for exploring with us. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.